again, this is Dr. Todd Watson with the ArborPod interview series, and uh, my guest today is Mr. James Urban. He's a, a, a rare treat for us because he's a landscape architect, uh, but a landscape architect that knows a lot about trees uh, and uh, is helping to, uh, to spread that knowledge elsewhere. He's a, a, a cons- he has his own consulting firm, Urban Trees and Soils. Uh, he's a fellow with the American Society of Landscape Architecture, and he has a brand new book called Up by Roots. So welcome. Thanks for taking the time well, to be thank, here. Thank you, Todd. I'm glad, glad to be here and, and have a conversation with you. Well, the title of this uh, ArborPod interview is Incorporating Trees into Urban Rainwater Management Systems. So if you could uh, describe for us the types of urban rainwater management systems that are used in urban environments. Okay. Well, there's a, in the last uh, 10 years, there's been a dramatically increasing uh, awareness that we had to treat stormwater differently. We just couldn't let it run off um, into our rivers. Um, and uh, so the, the engineering of stormwater has, has moved from very hard um, structures, um, pipes and ponds and, and uh, uh, those kinds of, of very heavily engineered facilities to trying to pick up the stormwater or rainwater wherever it falls and treat it as close to the point where it falls as, as it can, can be treated. Um, and that has evolved a series of, of um, different approaches um, which may which start with the engineering side of, of putting it into cisterns or, or ponds, but in urban areas there isn't a lot of room for that, and the cisterns um, uh, can be expensive and they, they have their share of maintenance problems. Um, there's been uh, a lot of, of, of interest in uh, pervious pavers um, and, and softer absorbing landscapes uh, like green roofs or just large planted areas. Uh, then, um, and those also require a lot of space, and green roofs are expensive, and pervious pavers are expensive. Uh, and they are only af- as effective as where the water goes after they penetrate that. So if you're putting pervious pavers over a, a compacted soil, um, you haven't done much. You collect a little bit of water, and the rest of it runs off. The uh, next step was to... Um, essentially make depressions in the landscape so that and plant them with with plants that could tolerate being wet or dry um, and those took on the name of rain gardens uh, and those those started out being rather natural looking things and now some designers have uh, been taking the rain garden concept and essentially making them quite architectural quite urban uh, in their feel um, uh, and uh, Looking more ornamental than um, than natural, uh, but they still function quite quite well. And the last uh, piece in that is because all of these rain gardens and and absorbent landscapes, uh, ponds, cisterns, everything takes up a lot of space, and space is expensive in the urban environment. Uh, the last, the, the latest phase in that is to try and slide some of these rainwater uh, management uh, things under the pavement uh, to change what's happening under the pavement uh, to either capture more water um, or treat the water better. Um, and with the introduction of suspended paving, 
um, and some of these under under the paving root tree root planting systems has um, uh, allowed us to begin to explore putting more water into those uh, tree planting systems than we had otherwise planned. Now, trees have never been considered um, a big part of stormwater management, but in fact, uh, forested wetlands are the most effective um, uh, wetland, most effective stormwater management device that nature has provided. And trees are tremendous um, uh, evapotranspirers. They absorb water. They can they can support the, the soil biology that's needed within the the, the filtering uh, soil systems. So it seemed only natural that we should begin to add trees to these systems. Um, so I have been exploring, um, taking a lot of the ideas that I've developed to grow trees in cities uh, and now figuring how to put more water into those systems uh, to, to make them work. I, um, I, I actually, you probably don't know, but I do some, I'm involved in some research on, on pervious soils, or pervious pavements. Um, and they're really effective as far as the health of the tree is concerned. But the challenge you had mentioned before about what's done underneath, you know, the challenge is an engineering, architectural uh, challenge. Do you see in cities, um, uh, are the, uh, the, the city engineers, planners, architects, are they receptive to maybe changing their thinking about uh, these rainwater management systems and how they use trees versus what's been done in the past? I, I think there is a big change that, that's happening. Um, I started, uh, when I first started trying to put trees in cities at all, just getting trees, um, the engineers kind of wrote trees off as a, a necessary ornamental object that the politicians wanted them to include. And they really didn't know what to do with them. Um, and as I, uh, with my landscape architectural background, I realized that, uh, that we needed to apply the science of, of trees and soils um, sufficiently so that we could give uh, the, the engineers hard numbers to work with, soil volume numbers, uh, soil types, um, depths, uh, drainage rates, um, and the, 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 the essentially make the act of planting a tree an engineering object. Uh, very mathematical, numerical thing. And when we, when we started explaining to engineers uh, the mathematics of trees, and uh, there, there were all kinds of bright lights that went on, and we said, oh, I understand that. And um, we, in, in a certain respect, I actually got a, a greater, a better reception from engineers and architects than I got from landscape architects. Landscape architects said, we can't do this because it's not done that way, where the engineers didn't come in with any preconceived notions. So then when you explain to them the engineering of trees, they were quite, quite happy to embrace that. Um, when we got to the stormwater uh, management thing, the, uh, the same kind of thing happened, uh, where, um, uh, for example, putting the, the, these rain gardens under the pavement using suspended paving of, of various kinds, um, a system I helped develop called SilvaCells, uh, they suddenly realized that they could solve all of their, their water problems in an engineering way, and uh, because the soil filters are much cheaper than any other approach, 
um, it, it turned out to be a very inexpensive way of achieving the water quality standards that the, um, the, the new national uh, pollution discharge uh, regulations um, uh, require. So it was actually cheaper for them to do this, and we had good engineering data on how to do it, um, and so we've gotten very, very good response from, from the engineering side when we, when we go in to explain the, uh, how the system works. Is there any particular tree species that, that works better in these rainwater systems than others, or you know, if there are, what kind of characteristics? Well, yeah, typically you want to have tree species that are known as bottomland species which ironically are all the trees we've been using in our cities anyway, um, from elms and, and sycamores, uh, plane trees, uh, honey locusts, um, uh, maples, um, uh, bald cypress, uh, and I'm not sure what the, the, the species might be further south, but um, essentially uh, we were using bottomland species because they could tolerate poor drainage, which was a big problem of growing trees. And, and interestingly, m most of my first 20 years was to try to figure out how to get water out of the soil, and now I'm trying to figure out how to put water back into the soil. Uh, so I've come full circle. But the same species of trees uh, that we're already familiar with uh, are generally the, the, the best trees to use. Um, it may be that this new interest to native species uh, is going to lead us in some different directions. Um, and... Uh, uh, for example, pin oak, which I think we kind of uh, got away from in cities because of the pH problem, um, these wetland soils often, because of the high uh, soil organics, are sometimes very uh, low pH soils. Uh, we may actually be able to look at, at uh, a pin oak, and pin oak is one of the few bottomland oaks. We don't think, think, of it, think of oaks as being bottomland, but pin oaks is one of them. Uh, so a, a species that could be primed to reemerge in, in our urban environments. Well, I, I think a lot of arborists and urban foresters have had the experience of not having very much power in a city. Mm -hmm. uh, and you had kind of alluded to, for one of the reasons is we don't speak the same language that, uh, that the engineers and architects require uh, as far as some good hard numbers and less touchy-feely. How can an urban forester or an arborist uh, be helpful in this process, be an initiator to help get trees, uh, you know, and rainwater system as part of the rainwater systems that are being developed for cities. Now, I, I think that arborists are, are well uh, placed to, um, uh, to, to help uh, institute trees and in, into stormwater. First of all, um, over the last 15 or 20 years, the, the power of arborists has increased dramatically, especially the urban forester group. Um, I, I know that when I first started in this, uh, you know, urban foresters felt like they were the last people to come to the table, and now in some more forward cities, I, they find that they're the first people at, at the table or certainly are there early enough to make decisions. The other thing that um, the, the arborists can do is they can, they can uh, make the engineering side and the political side comfortable with the use of trees. Uh, there is a, a, always a little bit of, of mysticism around trees. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're living, suppose they die, um, suppose they fall over, suppose uh, they, they don't grow fast enough, or, or you know, the, the whole litany of why we shouldn't use trees in cities 
um, arborists are the, the people who are best placed to to make the politicians and the decision makers comfortable um, with the fact that trees are in fact good and the benefits of trees. Um, we speak that language, or, or I shouldn't. I, I, I hate to say we, considering that I'm not an arborist, but uh, arborists um, uh, do speak a, a language um, of science that uh, the landscape architects, frankly, don't. Um, the landscape architects are still in, locked into a design world, a, a subjective, aesthetic. We do these things because they're good. Um, uh, but the ISA and, and our, the arborists in general have embraced science research um, very strongly. Uh, they know the numbers. They, they are well-placed to, to do that. Um, so... What they the, so the the real issue is how do they do that, um, and what is the the right approach, and what I've 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 learned um, is that they they need to make sure that they stay in their strength, which is science. Um, they need to give good scientific solutions and not worry too much about the aesthetics. As soon as you begin to enter the aesthetic world, the architects and the the uh, landscape architects are going to clam up and begin defending their turf. Um, uh, but I think that that there are more and more landscape architects who are willing to listen to the the arborist um, and understand that they they have good solutions. Uh, and then I think the biggest issue is probably tree spacing, um, where the landscape architects still want to cram the trees in very, very tightly, um, and the arborist knows that that's a disastrous policy. Um, and also this continually wanting to put the trees in very, very small little spaces, uh, uh, tree grates, um, p- trying to pave right up to the trunk of the tree, and the arborist is going to have to continue to very politely uh, try and um, change the attitudes of the landscape architects. Although, for example, the issue of tree grates I've been working on for 30 years um, and still don't feel I've made very much progress. Uh, maybe a little bit, but for the amount of effort into it, hardly, hardly enough. Well, it sounds like a great opportunity for a mutually beneficial relationship uh, with arborists and landscape architects mm-hmm. and those others, if we yeah. can, if we can, you know, kind of figure out how to how to do that. How does I I remember my frustration uh, as an arborist dealing with some of these, in that um, by the time I was called was after the fact, and really where I could have been more valuable was on the design team as far as these things you're talking about about having enough space uh, for tree roots and those kind of things. How would an arborist do that, or, or even should they, they, they do that to try to be, become part of that initial design? Right. Well, the if if you are an employee of the city, you are the city urban forester, or um, working in the part, working actually working for the government, where you actually have a a, a sort of. Uh, place at the table simply because you work there, then it's a matter of figuring out how to get into the room um, and do, do your job correctly. And I think like all good uh, human interactions, it takes uh, quite a bit of networking, um, uh, confidence building amongst the, the, the right, identifying the people who make those decisions, um, keeping your eye on the, the city budget and knowing where the development projects are coming along and, and knowing who has been designated to 
um, uh, implement those projects? So is, is it coming out of the planning department or the parks department or, in, or the engineering uh, department of public works? Somebody is in charge of that project. And, and as a city employee, you usually can find the right person and begin to cultivate back channels so you get invited to the room. Um, if you are a, uh, a consulting arborist or a, an arborist in town who's a, who has a good um, feeling for trees, your your job then is to lobby the 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 the, the, the agency that is uh, beginning to be responsible for these these projects. The politicians to get the money, um, the politicians to get the decision to do trees better. Probably the most difficult one is the private development. So you have a large private development. Um, the developer controls all of the, the, the decisions on who to bring in. And there, um, I think that that's where the arborist then still works through the governmental process um, and tries to get the planning department to, because those are usually the departments that are in these projects early, to say, you know, we need to have an arborist early in, in this project uh, to, 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 to do that. Um, or if you're a consulting arborist uh, to a developer, then you need to show your value to the developer um, and uh, work as closely as you can to try and understand uh, you need to be there earlier and earlier. And typically what most people tell me is, um, there's a disaster, the you know, they go to the developer and say, if I was here earlier, we could have stopped this, and maybe the next time you're brought in a little bit earlier, and typically as the confidence grows, eventually you are, you're brought in at the right time. But it, it's not, none of these are things that happen overnight. They take a long-term uh, long effort um, and, and working humbly through the networking process to to build your case, show your skills, uh, but it all it all starts with having the skills. You, you've got to have your part um, uh, well down, your your language down, be able to cite local examples, um, have good pictures, all of those things that that build a, a strong case for um, uh, have for what you can do, and then rest on that strength and and play the, the, the politics and the, the, the social networking from there. But you can't do it without having a good um, educational base that, that you can stand on. Sure. Um, don't know if you have a crystal ball, but when you're looking at these rainwater uh, management systems, do you have a feel for 20 years down the road what we're going to see as far as the ones involving trees? Which are the ones that maybe will be more successful or how widely they might be used? I, th I think we're going to see um, a big increase in their use. Unfortunately, I think we're going to – they're very difficult to design well. Um, and when we first started working them, I saw a study that somebody had done about uh, eight or nine years ago where 80 percent of all the rain gardens in the United States failed. Either failed because they, they ran the water through too fast, or there was too much water uh, brought in, or they 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 clogged up with other debris and those kinds of things. So we're we're learning a little bit, um, but we have a long way to go. Um, and uh, uh, but, but I think as, as we we continue to work. With these systems, they're going to get more and more creative. They're going to move out of the, the engineering world of um, 
that this facility is just for rainwater to um, uh, where it's an integral part of our landscape. And, and the best person to look at that uh, for that kind of example is a, a gentleman in Germany named Herbert der Seidel, who designs uh, these stormwater management facilities with playground equipment in them, um, with picnic areas and seating, and, and they're just totally immersed. Um, there's a little cafe and a little town um, outside of Frankfurt where the stormwater management system actually runs through the cafe. And... Um, the you know the use of water and the, the the celebration of water is just total through the project design. Um, hidden in all of that is really good scientifically based stormwater management, but you really have a tough time finding it. What you see is a celebration of water. Um, I would like to see it become a celebration of trees and water uh, because the two work so well together, um, and I and I think that that will be the future. So where could an arborist go to learn more? Uh, about some of the things that we've been talking about? Um, well, the um, city of Portland has an excellent um, uh, uh, case study um, uh, uh, piece, which I think is on their website, um, on, uh, on their uh, rainwater and uh, management uh, facilities. The uh, city of Chicago has some excellent uh, web-based um, um, resources. Um, there's a wonderful book, uh, which is hard to find, called Waterscapes, written by Herbert Dersidel, uh, which is in English. Uh, but as I say, it is hard to find. Um, I think you can get it on Amazon, uh, Waterscapes. Um, and that really shows his approach uh, to, uh, to handling rainwater. And, um, uh, and then just looking around. There are new examples coming on all the time. Um, uh, in projects all over the place. Well, very good. Thank you for uh, for being here. Okay. And taking the time, and also thank you for uh, uh, for your years of service to ISA and uh, helping to educate us a little bit about uh, other parts of the profession uh, and how we can work better. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been a it's been a two way street on the learning, and um, it's been incredibly enjoyable and exciting for me. I look forward to another thirty years. I hope, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, very good. We'll uh, we'll schedule our next interview for for thirty, 30 years, years from now. From that now. way, okay. we'll make sure we're both here. So, uh, and again, to those listening, uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, another informative interview, and just encourage you to come back uh, to ArborPod uh, to hear another exciting interview on another topic dealing with trees.